Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 266, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible by Palmer Pond Botanicals, beautiful handcrafted herbals made with only the best hand-picked artisan herbals and the best Atlantic Marine Botanicals are waiting for you at Palmer Pond Botanicals. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash Palmer Pond Botanicals. Mud Pod Design House. Do you have a website? Are you happy with this traffic? The answer is no. Get a free website SEO audit from Mudpod Design at mudpoddesign.com slash free dash SEO dash audit. As the seed catalogs start to arrive and return our thoughts from last year's harvest to the restless of winter and promise of spring to come, there's one critter too many of us completely forget to prepare for. Today we're talking with Alexis Chesney, doctor of naturopathic medicine and author of Preventing Lyme and Other Tick-Borne Diseases about planning and prepping for tick season. Now here are your hosts... I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome back, Alexis. Hi, thank you for having me. It is good to see you today. Truly it is. <laughs> it <laughs> it also means I have to think about ticks, so that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, are, are you are you thought of as the as the tick lady now? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I've gotten that that Dr. label. Tick. <laughs> so, when we're starting to think about tick season, we really there's a lot of preparation we need to do because Lyme disease and and the other tick borne disease. I'm going to focus on Lyme, and I'm going to you know abbreviate and say Lyme disease, but I'm really referring to all the various tick borne diseases. There's a lot of them. They're scary. They can be life altering. A couple of them are actually deadly. What do you know? We've we've got to prevent these. So what do we do? Yeah, there are many ways you can prevent tick bites. So. I am very happy to help educate people in doing that um, so that they can prevent Lyme and other tick-borne diseases. Um, yeah, I mean, thinking about tick habitat, we can look at that first. And um, there's the way of avoiding it, right? And then also thinking about our yards and what we can do, depending on what kind of land we might live on or work on or recreate on um, in order to cut down on the tick population. Um, so ticks love... Uh, moisture, they love uh, shade. So they, they're in the grass, they're in low shrubs, um, they're going to be in leaf litter or in stone walls um, between fields and uh, forest. Um, and they're also associated with uh, small animals like the mouse. So, you know, thinking about all, all of that in, um, in the way of, of decreasing the tick population is important. So would rats be problematic too? I mean, they're problematic for so many reasons, but you know. Yeah. I mean, any small animal can, can have uh, a tick attach. So definitely you want to clear all of that kind of stuff and not. Yeah. Like debris and, you know, wood piles, like try and keep them somewhat organized. And yeah. Yeah. As you you were. We'll we'll talk about tick tubes because you want to put those in places where the mice are. Yeah. Well, that was I was something I saw, but I was going to say as you were talking about tick habitat, and I was like, oh, they're kind of like everywhere, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you want? So, what is a tick tube or a mouse? T- a tick yeah, tube. Yeah. So I love I love it because um, using these devices will decrease tick population by ninety three percent, which oh, is huge. Thing. And I see patients 
return from one year to the next, mm-hmm. um, coming in saying how many ticks they have on their yard and everybody's getting tick bites, their kids, and what are we going to do? And then they come back the next year and say, hey, we don't see any ticks anymore. It's oh, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Nice. So, um, the idea of these tubes, and in the book, I go through actually how to make them yourself yeah. because you can totally do that yourself or you can purchase them. Um, you can basically uh, save uh, like a paper towel or toilet tissue um, roll, mm-hmm. um, something like that, and that's biodegradable. Um, and then you can save lint from your dryer or use some cotton balls or something like that and soak that material in permethrin which is in a caricide, it kills ticks or repels them. Um, so when you use, if you ever use um, the permethrin, make sure to wear gloves and be careful because it's toxic to our skin. Okay. So basically you're going to treat that material with the permethrin, let it dry, which takes an hour or two, and then you put it in those tubes and then you place them out in mouse territory which is basically tick territory, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the mice go in there, bring that lovely material back to their nests, and then it'll kill ticks on them and their family members. Um, so it decreases that tick population. And mice are actually um, usually the first, um, like the first blood meal of a tick will be on a mouse. Okay. So there are three stages to um, the tick life cycle. And larvae are the, the first um, they're born at into being larvae. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that um, tick will attach and get its first blood meal, often from someone like a mouse. And that's where they actually get the infection. That's where they mm-hmm. first get Lyme and other tick-borne diseases. So from the mouse, it's transmitted to them. And then they become a vector. And mm-hmm. then um, they might attach to you as a nymph, the second stage. They might attach to you or a dog, and they can actually then transmit Lyme okay. and then also get something from you if you had it. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a two-way street, um, depending on who whom they're attaching to. Um, yeah, so it can really make a big difference to do these tick tubes. Yeah, that sounds like that's really a, a huge tool that we could use. Is that, like, if you get, get those tick tubes... And you live in an area like you have dogs or cats. I mean, is, is this going to be harmful to other animals? Um, no, when dried, uh, it's such a small amount that it, it wouldn't be a problem for, for animals. You don't want to um, spray the permethrin wet on, like you're saying, like not yeah. on our hands. And you don't, uh, when it's wet, like some people do use pyrethroids or permethrin, which is under that category of pyrethroid, mm-hmm. those kind of chemicals. And treating the land, I don't recommend it just because it can kill um, bumblebees and some other insects um, when wet, okay. right? So, so you know, spraying this all over the, the lawn, then you're going to be affecting insects that are flying and sitting on the lawn. But if you're really just targeting this one area in a little box where you're spraying right. your, your um, materials to then dry and put into the tick tube, it, it's not going to affect Okay. And once it's dry, then it's not going to harm the bumblebees or anyone else that much either. Right. Right. Okay. Is there other things that you can do if you're com- uncomfortable using um, the permethrin? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's, um, uh, well, for the tick tubes, I have not done um, any anything else inside there. You'd have to apply it like I'm thinking of um, 
essential oils, you know, they kind of, yeah. they don't last that long. So you'd have to go out there every few hours. So yeah, <laughs> but, yeah it's unrealistic. But there are essential oil sprays that you can find like for the land. And mm-hmm. um, you would, again, you know, if you use a larger amount you know, there are various studies showing just how effective um, it is, it's not as good as something like permethrin, but uh, it does something, you know, and there's right. also this fungus um, that's been used um, as a, as a treatment for the land that mm-hmm. uh, affects ticks as well. So there's some natural options out there for the land. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So we've, you've got your environment covered and, and you've got a plan <laughs> yeah. for that. Now, how about yourself? How do you protect yourself if you know you're going to be going into tick territory? Right. Yeah. So um, definitely thinking about the permethrin treatment of clothing. Um, so treating your socks and shoes with permethrin decreases tick bites by nine. I'm sorry, by seventy three times. Wow. Um, so that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, so again, you can do that yourself and just be careful with not getting it on your skin, letting it dry. Um, and then there's a place called Insect Shield that you can send clothing away to. And when they treat it with permethrin, it lasts longer, it lasts 70 washes. So oh, wow. if you spray your shoes, like I have, I put all the shoes out, I spray them down, I put it on the calendar. So mm-hmm. I do it every six weeks Okay. Um, because it lasts only about six weeks. So you've got to do it again and again. So that would be a lot if I really wanted to to do some outfits over and over again, right? Um, so you can send certain things. Like I have some outfits that I send away to Insect Shield, mm-hmm. and then they last a long time. Or thinking about things like sheets, like for a picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, think about, oh, I want to go out into this lovely yeah. piece of land and sit on the grass. Well, sure, if you get your permethrin-treated blanket or sheet which i have in my car yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if somebody wants to do it hold on I, i'll be right back oh i, I could just I you could put just in your see, backpack on a oh, hike it's great every every herbalist just rolling their eyes right now like oh my god <laughs> well <laughs> i mean there's no like you know citrus spray or something natural <laughs> There is. There's an alternative to that. I, I see, like, you know, thinking about using all of these different things in combination, I think, is the best. Um, and because permethrin is so effective, it's, it's just hard not to use it. I've seen, you know, people go through those processes, which I respect, you know, mm-hmm. want, maybe not wanting to use this chemical. Um, and sometimes people over time say, you know, the ticks are just so bad. And um, I'd like mm-hmm. to start to use it now. Um, but there is um, cedar essential oil. I use that a lot. Um, there's a company Cedarside. Um, so that's the one I used. Um, that's very effective. And um, the thing about that is you just have to be a little more vigilant and mm-hmm. apply it every one to two hours. Um, but that's safe for your skin. Yeah. It smells nice. Um, That'd be safe for your animals spray. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Over 20 pounds, you can yeah. spray it on your dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Which is nice. What about like your immune system? Because that there was a, there was a term that you used in the book, um, prophylaxis, which to me honestly mm-hmm. sounded like you know putting a giant condom on 
but I know that's not really what it means. Can you explain what prophylaxis is? Yes, she she told me that, that's and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I had one patient who came in with the, or he, he brought in a picture. It was amazing. This white, like, overalls that he treated with permethrin. So he was wearing all white, tucked in his pants to the socks. That is an option. um, um, And actually, cryptolepis from Africa has been used in this way. There's a study showing that it's been used um, for prophylaxis for malaria. So it's really wonderful that we have research on that. And so, sort of applying that idea. you know, to um, having something in our system already that's helping our immune yeah. system work in a certain way that makes it our environment unfriendly yeah. to having Lyme stick around or other tick-borne diseases. Um, and that also would kill the Lyme and other uh, tick-borne diseases. Um, yeah, so that's I, the idea of the prophylaxis. And so people, are, you know, there are a lot of different levels of this. And now it's tick bite season. So, yeah. you know, I see, um, I see it a lot of chronically ill folks, but then I also have a tick bite clinic. Um, and I'm currently training another <laughs> provider right now. And so we get a lot of people coming in and it, it's funny, like the, the critical thinking about, okay, someone comes in with a tick bite, are they symptomatic? Are they not symptomatic? You know, there are all yeah. these levels of looking at what, you know, where the person is on that path. Um, hopefully not to getting Lyme. Um, but there's also just stepping way back and thinking about, okay, I haven't even gotten a tick bite and I can yeah. do some prophylaxis. Um, so with high risk populations for people that are out, whether it's their work or they just, you know, live in a place where they're constantly outdoors and enjoying it for recreation or they're farmers or they're loggers or they're, yeah. um, you know, for whatever reason at high risk of tick bites, um, then you could take an herbal formula um, during tick season <laughs> which we should define because people think oh that's you know like may to october um, yeah but tick season's actually whenever it's above 28 degrees fahrenheit um, oh geez come on <laughs> yeah, so, Aww, so, so for some of us that might be every every day of the year except maybe christmas oh, come on. <laughs> I know, I know. like one week yeah, so depending on your area you know yeah. so we have some mild winters and then people come in with tick bites january february yeah. And then other, other years we have, you know, much colder winters and we might not see any for a few months. But I think that's important to keep in mind, like you're saying, to have mm-hmm. people prepare for the spring for, for ticks, um, you know, doing that um, sooner than later. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, sure. I mean, especially with, you know, the COVID of last year and the flus and, and other types of illnesses that we're seeing starting to really crop up, it seems to me that it makes sense to do stuff to prepare your immune system and take mm-hmm. care of it. So are we talking echinacea? What are we talking? What kinds of herbs are we talking here? <laughs> no, <'Cause-> actually, I <laughs> know. Echinacea is so wonderful for a lot of reasons, but um, not, not for this so much. Um, so you can take um, something that I call deer tick bite formula. And um, looking at that formula, which is based on mostly the, the ticks in my area that carry um, pathogens that then cause Lyme and other diseases, um, you know, we're usually focused on that tick. But um, in the book, I talk about all of the most common ticks in North America, and then there's a tick bite formula based on each of those ticks. So, um, you know, whatever's right for you and where you live. But um, if you were going to take deer tick bite formula, then that would be 
um, cat's claw and knotweed, cryptolepis and hutunia. And so those, I, I chose them and put them all together because um, each of them will treat a different pathogen. So like um, for, for Lyme, knotweed and cat's claw treats Lyme. Hutunias for viruses like Powassan, which is very rare, but still good to have that in there. Yeah. Um, and anaplasmosis, which, you know, we're seeing more and more. That's, that's sort of like the second um, top tick-borne disease in this area in Vermont. Um, and then you've got cryptolepis for Babesia, because um, Babesiosis I see uh, more and more. And those are in deer, the Babesias carried in deer ticks. Um, but then also now, more, most recently, not too long ago, maybe a year ago, there was a study showing that cryptolepis actually kills Lyme too. So that was nice. exciting. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so there's that piece of like thinking about killing these diseases, yeah. um, these pathogens, but then they're the amazing, like with knotweed, Japanese knotweed. I mean, just the incredible, um, immune modulation that it can do in the body. Um, so whether it's Borrelia, which is Borrelia burgdorferi is Lyme disease, um, or one of these other pathogens, you know, it's readying your immune system to do what it needs to do in the face of Lyme and what Lyme does to your immune system. I have a new bookmark for you to add to your browser, therealherbmarket.com. This is your new go-to for all your herbal products. It's your one-stop shop. You can peruse the many stores from verified herbalists from around the country, allowing you to shop locally if you prefer, or to get an herbal from an herbalist that specializes in products you do not have access to. Visit therealherbmarket.com to shop for your next salve, tincture, or tea. Then make sure to bookmark it and come back. See them again at therealherbmarket.com. Would um, <clears throat> like Oregon grape or any of those um, type of or elderberry or any of that, would that be at all helpful? Well, I mean, Lyme is really interesting in the way it affects the immune system. So, you know, those are not, you know, some of the more traditional common herbs used are not mm -hmm. the ones that really come up. Um, mm -hmm. So that was interesting, you know, back when I was studying, um, it was yeah. all these different herbs a lot of the time that I hadn't heard of or just heard a little bit about, didn't use much of, um, like red sage. I mean, that, yeah. that herb is incredible. That's a salvia. Um, so it, it, that and um, Baikal skullcap I love because... Um, it, it's kind of like an adaptogen for the immune system. So if we think of, um, like usually I talk about adaptogens for uh, adrenal herbs, you know, helping your yeah. adrenal glands work better, um, like ashwagandha and rhodiola, polybasil, these kinds of herbs. But um, thinking about the immune system and the way that uh, Lyme comes in and kind of turns off part of your immune system and then creates the cytokine cascade, which is just these cytokines, like all these communicator cells in the immune system. Yeah. So all that kind of happens, and then you get all this inflammation. So um, by using something like Baikal skullcap and red sage, it'll really bring that down, um, like interleukin and prostaglandin. You know, there are all these names yeah. um, that I can never keep straight, but <laughs> I can look it up. <laughs> I feel a little better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they have yeah. some very specific ways of working, which is important, yeah. I think, when dealing with Lyme, because it has, you know, that Borrelia bacteria has such a very specific way that um, it changes in the body. Yeah, I was going to say, um, can you explain a little, just a little bit about it changing its shape? 
It's like, oh yeah, that's yeah, huge. Yeah. I found that interesting, especially considering that as we when we talked about last time, you talked a little bit about Lyme disease being a disease that often, not always, but often causes people to make some big transformations for themselves, whether it's diet and exercise, that sort of thing, or if it's a spiritual transformation. I mean, it kind of really pulls us in that direction of major change. And the the bacteria itself also goes through radical, potentially goes through radical change. Mm -hmm. Always. It's always changing. I mean, one thing that's interesting, it has these surface proteins on it. Mm -hmm. So when it's in the tick, it's expressing certain surface proteins so that it can interact with being in the gut of the tick. This right. is probably very boring. And then, <laughs> and then Gross, it goes, yes, boring, no. <laughs> and then it goes, like when it, it senses that this tick has attached to a host, the Borrelia is able to move to the salivary glands of the tick because that those surface proteins changed. Yeah. And then they're able to attach to something in the salivary glands that then brings it into the body. I mean, it's just yeah. so, it's so fascinating. It's so complicated. It is. Um, and then once they're there in, in the human body, for instance, you know, it's a very different temperature, pH, yeah. all this stuff matters, but it adapts. It adapts with all these changes from the tick gut to the salivary glands to the mouse or the human or whatever it is. And, um, and then it changes forms. So it, um, you know, it is the spiral, which is in it in itself as a bacteria, pretty peculiar. Yeah, you know, it's not a typical <laughs> bacteria anyway. <laughs> so right. it's got this very interesting <laughs> spiral shape. Um, its genetic makeup is really interesting and different. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so it changes from that spiral shape, and it kind of balls up on itself into this cyst or round form. And it actually needs to change into that form to get into the joints, which is one piece that I think is so important for allopathic medicine to understand because um, all of the antibiotics that are used, most of them, the most common ones like doxycycline, don't get to the round form. Yeah. And where are most of the bacteria in people with Lyme, especially early on, we talk a lot about joint pain, Yeah. right? Yeah. So they're in the joints, they're in this round form, they're not being affected by um, doxycycline. So we need other things like herbs yeah. to, to get to them, um, to get to that round form. So that's huge in treatment. I see that all the time. And there's studies showing, showing all this um, about the doxycycline and not getting to the round form. Um, and then the other thing it does is it changes, or does, it doesn't change, but it, um, they kind of create a community and then create this biofilm around themselves. So this is another way yeah. that they hide from the immune system and the antibiotics and even herbs. Yeah. Um, so they can persist. It, the biofilm is fascinating. It's this community of communication and they're, you know, um, then creating these little satellite communities oh and throwing them off. Like, it's this like other <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, these are survivors. They've been here longer than us. It's yeah. pretty, pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, so with treatment, we're always thinking about all those ways that it's surviving as well. Are there things that you can do to help besides taking like various herbs and taking like the the pro, um, deer tick or the whichever tick appropriate tick formula that you suggest? Are there other ways you can prepare yourself? Like, is there a specific nutrition that's better or like an acid diet sure. or a basic diet or yeah. 
Yeah. So thinking about alkaline um, versus acid. Yeah. You can, you can think about that. Um, basically anti-inflammatory, right? Okay. So um, if we're going to try and create an environment that's not friendly to Lyme, in addition to using herbs, we can look at nutrition. Um, so sugar and yeast and alcohol are the food for Lyme. So that's okay. huge. That's kind of like a starting place. <laughs> oh, the trifecta. Right, all the fun things. Always <laughs> <laughs> the best news. You know, I'll, get, I'll, I'll talk about the long process of, of, or the long list of treatment with patients, and then I'll, I'll share that about the sugar and yeast and. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> all the comfort foods I'll do are just. That, but can't that. Yeah, I'll take all the drugs. I'll take all the tinctures. I'll do everything you say. I got to give up beer. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> right. it takes a lot of discipline to yeah. go through Lyme treatment. Absolutely. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then foods like you know sometimes people have sensitivities. You know, oh, dairy yeah. or gluten can be more inflammatory to a lot of people. So we might discuss that eating and then not, not only what not to eat, right. Thinking about what to eat. Let's get lots of veggies in there. Um, All those vegetables with antioxidants and vitamins and minerals we need. Um, You know, thinking about all the colors of the vegetables, getting all those in because all those have Mm -hmm. different bioflavonoids um, that are really helpful for our immune system and the body. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that. And I was also thinking about some of the more nutritive herbs like nettles, oat straw, that kind of stuff where you're, you pack a lot of nutrition into, you know, a simple tea. (laughs) Absolutely. I I think we're also sensitive now to nutrition, how it affects our immune system. Mm -hmm. Um, Those types of choices based on, you know, last year with COVID and and continuing um, uh, that we're getting more and more sensitive to it. And, 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 you know, last year um, two senators uh, put in um, uh, legislation for, for feedlots to like stop feedlot uh, production by 2040 in a response to um, moving to not only just a healthier diet, but healthier in people to keep our immune system much stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting thing that we're all kind of thinking about it now. But it seems yeah. like we weren't. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. anyway. I didn't mean to like end the conversation. Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that was a massive lull. <laughs> well, I think I, I really think that Lyme disease was a harbinger for us, letting us know that change is coming. And if we don't get our butts moving and make adjustments, start making changes, that it's going to just intensify. And I think COVID was the next step, if you will. I mean, you yeah. Know. I mean, they're not the same, of course, no, no. But, but but they they share similarities. But Lyme disease has been around, like you said, for such a such a long time, mm-hmm. and it was only relatively recently, you know, in the last what forty years, that we've actually seen it, figured it out, knows that it's spiral shaped, it's all that. Do you, do you know of any history before that? Did people just not even, you know, did it have another name? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it showed up as Montauk Knee, you know, Long Island Montauk. Um, okay. It was discovered in 
basically around that area in Lyme, Connecticut, and then across the Sound on Long Island. Um, so that was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I mean, I'm sure people have had it. It's been found, you know, they, they found that that mummy that had yeah. Lyme, I was for, forget where <laughs> yeah. that was, but, um, you know, they had found the actual bacteria, but I don't know, was it causing a disease in that person at that time? I think that's the question, you know, is it, was it the same, um, strains that we have now? I mean, the, the diversity of Borrelia is pretty incredible. I mean, there are different species, but then there are also different strains within the Borrelia burgdorferi that causes Lyme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how has that played a part? How has that evolved over the years, perhaps, which somehow uh, now is causing such a huge issue? But I wonder and if sickness, you know, creating sickness yeah. in humans. Yeah, I wonder if the way that our environment has changed with you know, higher levels of toxins, but other types of disruptions that we've been mm-hmm. seeing since the 70s. And, you know, that's just increased through the years. And changes in diet, I mean, you know, beginning in before the 70s, but really from the 70s moving to the 80s and 90s, we saw a much larger swath of our population eating fast foods, eating out, eating packaged foods. You know, our diets really changed radically over the last 50 years. And I kind of wonder if that might be one of the biggest influences, you know, the way that our environment and our our diets and stuff have changed over. Absolutely. Yeah, and stress, the kind of stress we have now. Yeah. How humans deal with stress. Yeah. It was supposed to be easier, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) All this technology was supposed to make it easier. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Lexis, how can people get a hold of you? Um, So I am... uh, I work full-time at Sojourns Community Health Clinic. So they're at sojourns.org. Mm-hmm. And then my website is dralexischesney.com. Um, so I also have a private office and I work pe- with people by telephone and uh, speak on the topic of Lyme and tick-borne disease. So you can find me there. And then if you would like a signed copy of the book, you can also find me there or you can purchase that at dralexischesney.square.site. I definitely will have all those links in the show notes. And I strongly advise folks to get a copy of Preventing Lyme and Other Tick-Borne Diseases. It's got some excellent information in it um, on how to identify ticks, which is a lot more important than I ever wanted to believe. (laughs) (laughs) And how to figure out what ticks and what potential diseases are in your area or the area that you're going to be in so that you can take proper steps to prevent and protect yourself and your families and your pets. But yourself and your family. I don't like ticks. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you can add? Um, that sounds great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, perfect. So as always, put, put an herb, herb on, on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. 
always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.